Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my podcast, number 461, Expressive Language Milestones by 42 Months, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest ASHA provider for CEUs for early intervention. Thank you so much for being here. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you're not new, welcome back. Uh, My podcast is for both professionals and for parents of children with language delays. Now, if you are a therapist, you can get continuing education for watching or listening to this course, and I'll give you more details about that coming up. Today, we are continuing our Language Milestones podcast series, and this is actually show number 12 of a 14-part series where we are reviewing all the developmental language milestones, both receptively and expressively, from about 12 months all the way through 48 months. So we are almost done with this. We're here at 42 months. So uh, today, that's what we're talking about here in this course. Now, we are covering so much material, but I do want to let you know if you're a therapist and have not purchased your continuing education credit for this, you can do it in two ways. You can uh, look, if you are on YouTube, you can look at the link here below in the show notes. And if you are listening on a podcast app, you can get that information at my website at Teach Me to Talk and it's show number 461. Now for parents, we also have a link for you. Even if you don't need continuing education credit, you can purchase the handout or the show notes that go along uh, with this course. Therapists have been telling me how useful the handouts have been for them for parent and teacher education. And so many parents and grandparents love the handouts because again, there's continuity of what you're all doing at home and in the other settings that your child may be in. Now, so many parents and grandparents ask us here at Teach Me to Talk how you can support our work. And so we have added that you can purchase the handout for $5 or any other amount that you would like to give. And again, you can find those links here below on YouTube or go to my website at Teach Me to Talk at four, four, 461. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel already, please do that. We so, so appreciate your support. All right, let's begin today's podcast with a quick overview of the milestones that we are going to be discussing here for Expressive Language by 42 Months. And so again, we're here in this 36-month to 42-month developmental range. And after we finish the milestones, let's talk a little bit about this period. But first, let's just quickly review these milestones, particularly for parents who might be tuning in just to see how your child is doing. Now, uh, the first milestone here is speaks in four to five word sentences in conversation. So we're all the way up here at three and a half. And this is certainly what we want kids doing by that time. Uh, The next milestone really is so closely linked to that. And when we discuss the milestones today, we're actually going to talk about these together. But the next one is expressive vocabulary of more than 1,000 words. Now, if you were with me for shows uh, 459 and 460, we also talked about this. We're 458, 459, 460, and then up to 461 because we're right here at this 36 months to 42 months and then the the period to 30 to 36 months. The 1,000 words, when, when we look at that as SO, LPs, sometimes we just think, oh my goodness, that is such an enormous, how are we going to get there? That's an enormous vocabulary and how can we cover that much ground with the child? But again, we have to always think about, we've been talking about this milestone again in these past four shows. We have to always kind of keep that in mind because that should really drive us to focus on one sole goal here and it's vocabulary development. And again, if you've been with me these past four shows, that's what we've talked about again as the driving force here 
for this period. And so I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about that today. But if you're a parent of a child with a language delay and you hear by three or three and a half, they need to have a thousand words. That may seem overwhelming to you. And again, kids get there. And the only way to get there is working consistently on vocabulary development. So we're going to be talking about that a lot again in this show. The next milestone is names a variety of pictures. And so that's just that a child's vocabulary is large enough and he is a a comfortable enough communicator that he can sit with someone and name lots and lots and lots of pictures. The next milestone is tells how an object is used. And again, kids need to be talking in sentences before this milestone is realistic. And they also should have uh, completed the other skills that we've talked about previously uh, back in shows 460 and then again in shows 458 and 459, all the, the skills that lead up to this, that children understand analogies and they understand inferences. And again, they they are at the language level where they can say, you can ask them a question like, uh, what do we do with shoes? And they would be able to say something like, I wear shoes on my feet or wear them on my feet or something like that. What do you do with a cup? We drink with a cup, that kind of thing where they are using a sentence to explain. So using words to explain another word. And again, what a high level concept. But we're talking about little guys who are up here again above three. And so some of us who primarily focus on birth to three or in our early intervention programs never get to these milestones. So, so when we see these as a kid is headed toward four, we think, wow, that is really complex. The next milestone is includes articles in phrases before nouns. And so those are words like um, a or a or the. And so we'll be talking about that um, as we go through the show today. The next milestone is uses quantity concepts. And this is where kids start to use not only number words, you know, one, two, three, four, but they also use words uh, like one, more, many, all. And they have to understand those conceptual differences before they can use those words accurately. So we'll talk about that as well. The next to the last milestone is adds a final S for possessives. And so that would be that a child says mommy's shoes or uh, daddy's truck, that kind of thing. They're putting that final S on there to show that someone else owns another um, whatever it is, another object or whatever they're talking about. And the last milestone here, again, we've been talking about this for show upon show upon show because uh, one of the things that children are doing here is expanding pronoun usage. And so we've already talked about what pronouns are appropriate through age three. And now we're going to continue to carry that on with some new subjective and objective pronouns, primarily plural pronouns. So we'll talk about those today too. All right. So that is a long list of milestones. And like I said uh, in the previous show, and then even, even previously in the introduction, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on overall in this age range. We used to really think that if language problems persisted after three, you know, for a long time I thought this, my whole career, that three was a dividing line and it's thought to be more serious if a child continues to have a language delay after three and then we sort of start to look at more like a language disorder versus delay. And again, that can sort of continue to carry us through. But guys, after the pandemic, with all the lockdowns we had, we may continue to see more preschoolers who were truly late talkers because they just did not have the social exposure or the exposure to other experiences that they would have gained had their parents not had uh, the whole lockdown thing that we all 
uh, we're in. And so when kids do, when they're in that situation, when it's truly like talking and we get them in programming and we start to all, again, parents, therapists, teachers, whoever is involved in that child's life on a daily basis, when everybody's really focused on that and working on intervention almost 24-7, those kids do catch up pretty quickly. When they don't, again, this is when we start to really look at, is this more serious than a delay? Is this a disorder? And remember the difference between delay and disorder. It's really just time. Delay, everything is coming in in the right order. All of these skills, a child may have them. He's just at a much uh, younger age range. With a disorder, there's atypical uh, development going on, meaning there are things to see, things that a child says or or does or how he speaks is really not within that range of typical development. And so again, you see some things that you don't expect to see. And the same thing with delays, you don't see skills that are there that you um, that, that you would expect to see. And with a language disorder too, sometimes kids have a real splintered pattern of development. They have some things way up here that uh, make their, their kind of camouflage their weaknesses because their real language level is, is an age or two or three lower than maybe their highest skills. And kids with typical development do that too. They may have some little uh, quirks or some little uh, just some skills that are a little bit higher, but typically their development, again, happens kind of in these in these ranges where they're not so far above or so far below. And again, when a kid has a language disorder, his skills may be all over the place. And that's something that is a little bit easier to ascertain after age three. All right, so that's why we talk about that. All right, one thing that we also wanna be sure that we are talking with parents of three-year-olds about who have language delays and language disorders is how important language is. Now, what what's your one line that you say as a therapist to really sum all this up? Let me tell you what I say. <laughs> and maybe you can incorporate some of this if you don't normally talk to parents about this, but I really talk to parents about language being the foundation for all academic success moving forward in preschool. And so this is why early identification of any kind of communication problem is essential so that kids will be and can be successful in school. And so if you're a therapist and you are not having that kind of conversation with parents, I hope that that's a line that you'll adapt and start to talk about in your conversations with parents. This explanation really helps parents see the value in spending time to address a language difference. So what is your line here? I want you to remember it. It's not on your handout. <laughs> I want you to commit this to memory even as you are just listening here. Language is the foundation for all academic success. And so that's why we have to have early identification and then really devote our resources, our time, our money, uh, wh whatever we have to do again to help kids establish that foundation so that they can be successful in school. So work that line into the information that you normally share with parents uh, early on so that they understand, again, the value in treating their child's language differences. We have so many milestones to discuss today, so I hope that you're following along on your handout. Now, in the intro today, we talked about how the first two milestones are so interconnected on this list. And let's just take a look at those now. A child will not be able to do the first milestone, which is speaks in four to five word sentences during conversations, unless he has a large vocabulary, which is that next milestone. 
So when a child has a large vocabulary, they usually generate longer sentences, right? So you really won't have one skill without the other. So we're going to talk about these together so you can follow along on your handout. All right. When a child with typically developing language is three, he's speaking in full sentences and can carry on conversations that last several minutes. And we talked about that before. I, I'm going to say something else about that in a minute. So just kind of hold that there. They can carry on a conversation lasting several minutes. Now, let's talk about just the whole full sentences thing and the carry on the conversation with four to five words there. Some sources cite this milestone is emerging sometime between three and four. Others don't cite it until age four. To me, as I've said before, it does not matter when it happens as long as it happens. <laughs> so at this phase, phase, a child should begin to use uh, language for higher level purposes. And again, the conversation part, let's just kind of start and talk, start with that. Let's talk about the conversation piece because there's lots of information loaded within this milestone. And we talked about this back in show 460 where we reviewed all the pragmatic functions for a three-year-old. Now, I am not going to repeat that today. It's a great list. So if you haven't listened to that show, if you're not listening to this series sequentially, please go back and listen to 460 because we talked a lot about pragmatic use. And again, that's the conversation piece. So what pragmatic skills, again, mean how a child not only says his words, but what's the communicative function there? Here, a child is beginning to report more complex things, say more complex things. So again, he might be telling you something like informing you that grandma said that she's going to take him to Disney World when he's eight or whatever it is, or something, an event that happened at preschool. He might uh, be able to just all of a sudden blurt out, we had cupcakes for Danny's birthday or something like that. Again, something that they are, are they're using their words to, to specifically tell you about something else. Inform, report. We have the other uh, pragmatic functions where they're answering questions and really responding to you. Others where they're commenting, making comments that maybe you haven't heard them do, use words in that way before. So a really, really important part of this milestone is the pragmatic function. And so go back and listen to show 460 if you need some more ideas for that. The bottom line here is this. When we're talking about speaking in four to five words in conversation, and then when we're talking about that big vocabulary goal of at least a thousand words, the bottom line is a child needs a word for everything, everything they see, everything they feel, everything they do. And so many of us as speech language pathologists get here to this three-year-old mark and we just focus strictly on utterance length. And so we're doing everything we can to just get that mean length of utterance up, get the get those, you know, units of meaning in there. And that's perfect, but without an adequate vocabulary to support that, a child lacks that core requirement for using full sentences. Enough words to be able to pull from that big word bank by now and then make those longer sentences. So we have to teach the kids the words that they need to talk. So like I said in the intro, vocabulary development is a goal for kids here at this age level and for kids in every other developmental range up to this point. And then it will be for kids in every other developmental range after this point, because that's one of the focuses of childhood. So it's not just language delayed kids or language disordered kids or our speech kids who need this. We focus on vocabulary development with every kid who's 42 months, right? And so that's what we need to do. And so as a therapist, you don't need to get stuck uh, worrying about the utterance length and those kinds of things. You just 
focus on focus on that vocabulary development sometimes therapists get stuck because we're kind of at a loss for what words to introduce next we recognize that a child's vocabulary isn't very large or isn't very diverse but then we're not sure about how to go about improving that and introduce introducing functional words uh, beyond that even that he or she would use and you say i don't know what else what other words to teach him and that's just ridiculous right <laughs> there's not a shortcut or an easy way to do it other than designing specific therapy activities to really focus on introducing new words and expanding a child's not only his expressive language vocabulary that we're talking about today but the receptive piece what he understands and again remember that receptive language uh, vocabulary is always always where we pick our new expressive targets from, right? We always want a child to understand a word so that he can use a word. And so we have to really think about that in our therapy sessions, really vary our activities so that we're targeting new words each and every session. So when therapists email me at Teach Me To Talk To ask for ideas for this, sometimes it's maybe a therapist who's worked, not worked in a preschool context or in an early intervention context. Maybe they're switching from older elementary students. Maybe they're switching from adults. You know, it feels like a different job. Job, right and so here's the advice that I give to therapists who again are just coming in the field or maybe they've worked in a different uh, like I said before a different population so number one we're always going to use a child's interest to help him stay engaged and we're going to select vocabulary related to those preferences so and again anytime that we're doing something a child likes he's much more likely to be able to participate with us right and then sometimes so that's where therapists feel stuck because they think I've exhausted every vocabulary word everything that I can teach him you know if it's uh, whatever his little quirk or obsession even likes uh, would be and so again I want to I want to discourage you from thinking that way and so not only are we going to be if let's just go back to that dinosaur example so if a child likes dinosaurs we have to think about how we would introduce vocabulary related to dinosaurs not just all of those stinking dinosaur names and get they've changed since <laughs> I was a little girl even when I was trying to teach those when my children uh, one of our, our oldest was a little bit interested in dinosaurs and I could not believe how the names had changed um, from the time that I learned them as a child and then and I'm sure it might even be different now because of all the scientific discoveries my point here is don't just stick to the nouns if you have a kid who likes dinosaurs use those dinosaurs to introduce new verbs new prepositions we're going to talk today a lot about pronouns use the dinosaur family to teach pronouns right and so uh, we're going to uh, use that to teach everything if a little girl likes cats same concept you're going to think of ways to expand those play ideas and play routines why so that you can work on vocabulary development now kids here are over three we're talking about kids here at the 42 month level now remember this is a developmental age range not necessarily chronological uh, age when we are working with our little friends who have language delays and disorders they may be six and they're working on these uh, same concepts here at three and a half because this is just where they are with their language development and when kids get to this level here's my point their play skills are more advanced than we previously saw because they've hit that again that magic developmental age of three where everything again is is older they're not babies anymore they're big boys and girls and so their interests are changing and their maturity levels are changing because of those cognitive their cognition is changing they're getting smarter and smarter and smarter and learning more and more about their worlds and because of that 
their play should be more advanced too. And so when you have, again, a child who say, a little girl who loves kitty cats, and let's say she has several stuffed kitty cats that she wags around with her everywhere she goes, think about how you can expand those play routines. She probably at three and a half is beyond uh, you know, making them go to sleep and feeding them and pretending that they're running and all those little things that we do with toddlers, all those little, you know, a lot of times we take what a child does and then we, we use that, we expand that for the play routine. So here at three and a half, we're going to bump it up even a little bit more. So care uh, for, you know, help do little play things like where she's caring for the cat, like going to the vet. Or there's, a, again, a big family of cats to play with. Or there are other pets. They're going to introduce some other kinds of uh, concepts. Might be, maybe there's a dog who comes to scare the cats. Just my point here is to expand the play routines, to just think about what's that next thing? How can I help this child become, uh, for lack of a better word, smarter so that we can pull some new vocabulary words in there? And it always begins with introducing new concepts, new experiences, uh, and again, expanding on what they already know. So just, just tagging that routine that they like and then bumping it up. A themed-based approach will usually keep your time together in sessions novel and fun. And preschool teachers rock this. You know, when you go into preschool classrooms, there's usually, they're, they're not just learning basic skills in just whatever the teacher kind of comes up with for that day. There's usually a theme, a theme for the week. And so speech language pathologists can do that too. Now this is easier to accomplish when you work in a center-based setting and when a children are coming to you. And what kinds of themes that you can use, um, you can base them on a type of toy. So your theme could be transportation so that everything you do that week is going to be with a car or a truck or a bus or a motorcycle or a plane or whatever. It could be with baby dolls. And so again, it, you're Whatever you're doing with baby dolls, feeding them, giving a bath, we talked about pretending to go to the doctor, pretending there's a birthday party, uh, pretending they're going to the grocery store, you know, again, all the things, bump it up. What are some things that that three-year-old is doing in his or her daily life? And you want to pretend using those things too. And again, you can turn those into a theme and that will keep you consistent and keep you working again on that vocabulary development. You can have themes based on holidays. So it could be Valentine's Day or Christmas. You can have themes based on a routine. And again, I talked about this, you know, pretending to go to the doctor or you're pretending to go to the zoo or uh, uh, whatever that routine is that a child would understand how to do that. I've got a whole show about this. I believe that it show, uh, I should have looked that up, right? I believe that it show 445. And I'll try to post this in the, at the bottom so that you can, the bottom of the poster so that you can take a look at that show where we look at the best pretend uh play themes for preschoolers. All right, as a home therapist now, if you are doing home visits, you can still take this premise with using themes. And again, why are we doing this? It's so that you have a cohesive way for vocabulary development. You can still do this in home visits, especially if you're taking some of your own materials or if you're just looking around the house to think, boy, they have a lot of toys around this central thing. And again, it's usually based on the child's preferences, right? And then you can plan, okay, for next time, these might be the vocabulary words that we're going to target. If you're not that much of a planner, <laughs> regularly rotating the toys in your bag and in your therapy room are an easy way to accomplish this task, even if you don't want to go that whole theme route. And I remember 
when I first worked in early intervention back even in the 90s and the early 2000s, how I would play in a lot of my sessions. And again, we all took toy bags at that at that point. Uh, it's just standing in the trunk of my car and, you know, looking at the toys that I had available and, and thinking, you know, what, what would be good? What can I put together to kind of make this a more, uh, again, a more cohesive feel for vocabulary development? Now, if you are not great at thinking on your feet and a lot of new therapists, will uh, ask me questions about this via email. Just jot down a list of new words that you're gonna teach for every play activity. And how I do this is I still think about it as a category, word categories or parts of speech. So I'll think about what are my new nouns? What are the new nouns that I'm gonna teach with this? What are the new verbs that I'm gonna teach with this little play routine? What would my prepositions be? Now your prepositions are going to stay mostly consistent, right? Because we have a list of, of the prepositions that a child should have attained by every age range. And we talked about that back in show 460 with the receptive language prepositions here. We're not really gonna review them here in this show, but our new prepositions next to, in front of, and beside, and then we've got our three-year-old prepositions under, by, and around, and you've got your up to three-year-old prepositions, up, down, in, out, on, off, and here and there. And so you really won't change those goals, but you're going to make sure, again, that if a, a child is not understanding or using one of those new words, that's when you would write down that, that you know, this is going to be one of my language goals for today. Uh, descriptive words, and again, descriptive words. I think about descriptors for toddlers and preschoolers as both adjectives and adverbs. And so certainly that's how I do it where I think per activity, these are the words that I'm going to focus on teaching with this new activity. And again, if you're not much of a planner, you should at least be doing that, right? <laughs> that should be something that you continue to do. Even when you're working at home, home visits, primarily why should you do it so that you can model for a parent how to do it. And again, Parents sometimes need more structure there. If you are not using a good vocabulary list, uh, in the previous shows in this series, up to age uh, 36 months, so it would be, I guess, every show 457 back to 450, I included a vocabulary list in all of those uh, courses. So go back and look at that. So if you're a therapist new to early intervention or a parent who's just joining us mid-series and you want to get your hands on a good vocabulary list, that's a good resource for you. All right, the next piece that we want to talk about here with these first two goals is utterance length of four to five words. So it and you know, that's only, we only have to target this if length is an issue for a child. If it's a language kid, and again, versus say a speech kid with apraxia, especially those with, uh, or any kind of kid who's, who has some sequencing difficulty, they're, they're, they're just using very limited utterances. And you can tell, again, that this is a motor planning issue. You will have to target that utterance length. But if it's just a language kid, guys, new vocabulary is gonna get you there. And so you are not gonna necessarily have to spend a ton of time working on specifics. I mean, we're gonna talk about specifics today like articles and phrases before nouns. We're going to talk about that. But my point here is with vocabulary development and if you continue to just drive that, that's your main focus, your the length should naturally kick in with a kid who's a language kid. But what if you don't have a language kid here? What if you're really working with a speech kid? And again, I mentioned those kids, our friends with apraxia or kids with, again, that they may not even rise to the level of being officially diagnosed as a kid who has some motor planning issues. 
but you will have to spend some time on that utterance length. Now, we have talked a lot about this in other shows. If you want more information about apraxia, please take a look at my uh, shows about that. Shows 431, 432, 433, and 434 were all about apraxia, and they were filled with those helpful strategies. I've got two fairly new workbooks that I released last year about apraxia, so we're not going to talk about every single strategy you could use. I just want to hit some highlights here as they specifically relate to increasing utterance length and sequencing. Singing at preschool age or even toddler age is a wonderful way to help a child learn how to sequence new words and again totally functional you sh you should be doing that children are certainly singing by this point but you've got to sing slow so if it's you know 100 miles an hour they are not going to be able to catch up and include all the words and again our point here is getting all the words in there another thing with apraxia is we're also targeting prosody so it's in prosody uh, disturbances or prosodic disturbances or where kids sound choppy or robotic or monotone those kind of prosodic quality differences lots of times those kids are the ones who are going to need help specifically not only with singing but also with getting the, uh, that variability in their voices so and again prosody is one of the major uh, diagnostic criteria difficulty with prosody that we use to uh identify children with apraxia or motor planning issues so singing is a great strategy for that another helpful strategy here uh, for all kids again regardless of whether it's a speech kid that you're having trouble getting that utterance length in again because of that specific speech problem like apraxia and for our language kids expansion is a fabulous strategy to use to get kids to that next level where they're including uh, that fourth or that fifth word. So let's say if a child is at three word phrases, and again, that's way back at a 27-month marker, uh, that we talked about this a lot in that show, we're going to add one more word and then have the child repeat it. So if he says more apple juice, what would you do? You're going to add a word on that, more apple juice, please. That gets you to the fourth word, but it's not necessarily sentence. And remember, we've talked about this before, too, in a previous shows. Here, kids are speaking in sentences. So to call something a sentence, we need what? We need a subject and a verb. And so more apple juice, please, does not meet the criteria for a sentence, right? It gets you that fourth word. But you do need, again, to work on that early grammatical structure so that kids are including subjects and verbs. And that, that's the real marker here. It's not really just the four words, right? And so then it would be you're adding, you know, I want more apple juice or mama more apple juice or pour more apple juice. You know, again, the subject there would be implied with any time we give a, a command, usually those uh, Sentences start with a verb, right? The subject there is implied with you, and so that still is going to meet that criteria for a sentence. But my point here is get them to that fourth or fifth word by looking at what, uh, how we can expand that. Most of the time, picking words from their established vocabulary adds the likelihood of success. So all of those examples i would probably try all of those the i want more apple juice or laura more apple juice or pour more apple juice please anything again any kind of combination of that that i could just get a kid to that length if that is what 
our uh, primary goal is or what the reason is, again, that we're not really getting there beyond, you know, the vocabulary development piece, the sequencing piece. So create that opportunity. Uh, pour just a little bit of juice. And again, it, it, it gives the child a reason to ask for more. And then you're going to get all that additional practice with pour more apple juice, Laura. Pour more apple juice, Laura. Pour more apple juice, Laura. And again, we do let them, even at this level, practice in those repetitive patterns so that they really anchor in those longer utterances. Okay, I've already said this three or four times on this show, and I'm going to say it again. That the vocabulary goal here is consistent with what we know about children with typical language development. So the average number of words a child in this developmental period uh, with typically developing language has is what? 1,000 different words. So vocabulary development, again, is our primary goal throughout the preschool period. Uh, Dr. Greenspan, Stanley Greenspan, that I probably haven't talked a lot about on the show in a while, but uh, huge autism um, person, I guess you would say, a PhD psychologist who worked a lot with uh, kids with autism and really created floor time, which is a relationship-based approach for treating autism. Uh, he actually reports that children with typical development have thousands of words, 2,000 to 4,000 words from three and a half to four. And so again, vocabulary development is what we need to be focused on. And there's no other way to accomplish this goal by teaching vocabulary. And again, that's both receptively and expressively. We've got to stay creative. We've got to stay focused and we've got to stay busy, right, to accomplish that goal. And that is our final outcome again for so many of our children here in this developmental period. We always, always, always stress that. And if you are not just saying that those words, vocabulary development, vocabulary development, vocabulary development to parents, that is something that I hope that you'll change today. And again, that's a goal for us as early intervention and preschool SLPs, uh, no matter how old that child happens to be. So we have to challenge ourselves and challenge parents to introduce those new words every day so that we can be sure we are getting close to these milestones. The next milestone is names a variety of pictures. Just now, between three and three and a half years old, do we truly begin to measure how many different pictures a child can name? So let's just kind of talk about all the different ways that we could address this goal and all the different ways that we could help parents address this goal. I think that using pictures in the context of a book or a story is a lot more fun and a lot more uh, functional for a child than sitting at a table and naming flashcards. And so here, when you have a child who is three and a half and doesn't really uh, isn't really able to name lots and lots of pictures, that the first thing that I would recommend to parents is read, 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 read. Use books all the time. And for the for those kids, again, sometimes it's it's not just the story. They may sit through the story just fine and the parents again have no idea that they're not really linking meaning with words. So even even in those books, those longer story books that children are now able to really, because of their attention, really sit through and listen to, we still need parents really pointing to pictures and really talking about the pictures even as they read, asking questions about the pictures, and again, just a discussion about that. It needs to be beyond where's the boy, where's the bike, where's the tree? You know, you need to talk about things, uh, again, that match the plot. You know, oh, the little boy, how is he going to get to the store? What will he do? And again, this, this, 
really fits in with all the other milestones that we're talking about, you know, telling an object's use, you know, there might be a bike there, like I mentioned, you know, in this example, and then he would say, oh, ride the bike, or whatever it would be, and so again, we've got to have parents really, really talking through these things, and for naming a variety of pictures, you don't learn how to do that unless you're looking at pictures, and again, really, really naming those, so at this point, we have to also encourage parents to go from more advanced vocabulary as they're reading and naming pictures, even with their nouns, and so you challenge parents, instead of saying something like truck to really pick something that's a little bit more descriptive. Is it a garbage truck? Is it a pickup truck? Is it a dump truck? Is it a bulldozer? Whatever it might be. And so the goal here, again, isn't just, uh, uh, you know, the goal here, what? Again, so vocabulary development. We have so many nouns we could teach. And at this point, I mentioned the list earlier, but at three and a half, we're really going well beyond that. And so I think reading books and using stories and something that's a little bit more um, involved than just naming lots of flashcards would be how you would want to spend more of your time as a parent teaching a child to name pictures or even as a speech language pathologist. But, <laughs> Flashcards are really efficient, right? Especially when we're helping a child kind of get over the hump to really be able to do this particular skill. And the truth is, some kids really do like flashcards, right? Many of them don't, and I always kind of have a negative tone when I'm talking about flashcards with parents and therapists because we've overused them, and we've often looked overlooked more functional, everyday teaching routines and more things that are, are we know children learn vocabulary by reading books, right? We know that hearing stories and really talking with parents about stories, and again, the things we have in the book, like plot development, you know, then there's a problem that happens, and then that gives you another kind of context to be able to talk about, rather than just sitting and naming picture after picture after picture. But again, <laughs> that's one of the things we do in speech therapy. So let me talk about some of our best ideas that we can do to make flashcards uh, more enjoyable for children here at this developmental range. First of all, keep the activity as uh, with as uh, less pressure. Make it a more fun activity and rather than just the pressure that a lot of our little friends with language delays can feel or language disorders can feel when they're involved in those confrontational naming activities. And you know how you feel when you're put on the spot say as an adult, when somebody asks you a question that you don't know, what do you feel? You feel a little bit, you know, you you get a little bit scared, right? You have a little bit of anxiety over that. Our little guys at three and a half have learned that feeling too, right? And so we really want to do these things. And again, focusing on enjoying this time together and teaching a child rather than testing a child like we talked about in the last show. So confrontational naming tasks are so hard for many uh, preschoolers here with language delays and disorders. So we have to get more creative and again we have to make it more fun so they're going to want to participate without all of the internal angst. And then when they feel that, what do they do? They avoid, they escape, they might be aggressive with you because they're so uncomfortable with this particular task. And so we have to get, again, a little bit more creative. If you've worked with preschoolers for any length at all, 
of time. You have probably come up with your own methods, right? Your own go-to ways to get kids to look at flashcards and stay with you. But for parents, this might be a little bit more difficult. Or maybe the things that you've done with your older kids don't work with this particular child and you're having a hard time to get your three-year-old to name pictures. Here are the ways that I found to be more successful. I like using a container so that a child has something to do with the picture. So if it has a slot, that's even better. So I like plastic buckets with lids that you can usually get around holiday time like Valentine's Day or Easter. I think Walmart carries these little plastic buckets in the children's section most of the year and you just cut a little slit in the top and then a child just puts his a flashcard in there after he names it and again the whole put it in take it out has been so important uh, through toddlerhood and that carries on into preschool with preschoolers so look for some kind of container if you are a parent at home and listening to this and you think well maybe that'll help my child want to be able to sit and look at flashcards with me or do flashcards a wipe box is a baby wipe box is a great uh, container to use. Lots of them, like the Huggies one, or paint, I think even Pampers too. You, there's a little flip lid and then that like a, a second top that you can reach down in and pull the wipes out. Well, that that's where you can put those flashcards and kids love that. Anything that looks like a mailbox is another big hit for using flashcards. So sometimes you can find a little mailbox toy that Fisher Price or another company would have made. Any kind of toy with a mouth big enough for that uh, picture to fit in and if it can go down like the the toy is eating the picture even better. I have a Cookie Monster toy that I've had probably now for gosh probably 15 or 20 years right and the cookie monster can swallow plastic food and you get it out of the back with his backpack and i have done that with uh flashcards as well anything like a brown lunch bag anything that you can make like a puppet again and gobble up those flashcards that would be really entertaining too flashcards are also a lot more fun if you make it a physical game like a relay so this really increases participation in our busy kids or kids that need movement to really stay regulated our sensory seekers and i just i mean i keep it really simple i might put the container on the other side of the room or it might even be something like you know we're going to put uh just just make a pile with the cards and so i would just have a child if he were here with me right now we would start back here on this table or with me picking a flash card and then just running over to the other side of the room where the camera is and just putting it there and then running back i promise just adding that little physical component in there would make it a lot of fun if you have a slide that would be a great way you know a kid uh, gets a picture names the card then gets to slide down the slide and put it in a box or put it at the bottom of the slide or run back around and do it all again so even if you don't have that kind of equipment if you're working in a child's home and you're doing this or you're the parent doing it just you know making it a little bit special with pulling one dining room chair out on one side of the room and one dining room chair on the other side of the room and kids think that is so fun and you'll have much much better participation with that other ideas let me give you some other things that i've done and with all of these activities i haven't mentioned you need to play with the child to make it more interactive so let's go back to our dining room chair examples that we might have don't just kind of again sit in the middle 
and give him a card and let him cut you know you're going to want to be part of this game and so you're going to do the big you know the big reveal where you might even hold the flashcards in your hand like you're you know you're playing a card game and have him pick one of the cards and you know you make a big deal about that you say something like oh what are you going to get which one will you get oh i bet i know i bet i know and anything like that that you can say to encourage him to participate with you and then get excited when he names the card cheer for him and you're going to say oh you did so great you did so great right put it over there go 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 yes hurry come back come back and again that excitement and that anticipation and really keeping them engaged and playing with that some kids you may have to do the running part with them you know when they name the picture you may to get them going you may have to say okay great let's run and you know if some kids you may have to drag right <laughs> pull them along with you to get them to the other side and then help keep them in that routine of that back and forth back and forth and so great way to do it uh one little boy years and years ago that i used to work with when we would name he loved to name cards by the way so this was something that we did kind of as his little break between more challenging activities for him that were play-based but we played flashcard pickup where i would just throw the cards and he thought that was hysterical and he would go pick up every one of those cards and name them bring them back to me and then we could do it again you know and i'm not talking about a hundred flashcards or anything like that just 10 or so flashcards at a time he thought that was great memory games are real fun for this you don't even have to match the cards just put out you know 10 different cards and just say which one are you going to get you you turn it over and name it and certainly if a child some children participate better when you take a turn with that too and you can certainly work on that reciprocity with you take a turn i take a turn you take a turn i take a turn where you're just naming those cards another big uh, successful Flashcard activity that I've used forever, and I bet you have too, is just hiding flashcards around the room and having a child find them. Now, you can also hide cards uh, if they're not too big or if you have smaller ones that you can fold or whatever in Easter eggs. Or I have some old plastic Tupperware blocks that, again, may be more than 20 years old that I have some smaller flashcards or smaller cards from memory games that I put in. But that's so much fun for kids to find something that you've hidden like that. And if you have a container too, so if you have them looking around for cards and they can put them in a bag or a bucket or even a even a Ziploc bag, I use those all the time. And so the child has to name the picture before he can put it in the container. And so love that activity. Um, and lots of kids like that too. Making a road of flashcards can be fun for a little boy and so, or a little girl. And so their cars or motorcycles or superhero, whatever they're using has to name each picture before they can move on to the next picture. If you are feeling really energetic, you can tape flashcards around the room and have uh, kids try to reach up and grab those off the wall and then do them. I have I have put flashcards and picture cards through basketball hoops. <laughs> Again, anything that you would need to do to keep a kid engaged and excited and not have it just be so boring. And please, please don't have a real punitive attitude so that if they are not participating just like you would want them to where they're naming something, they're, they're not really naming the cards. They're, again, it's too hard for them. Be sure that you your point would be to make it fun and to teach, teach, teach that new vocabulary. And if one of these ideas isn't working, just put it up. Try something else. But don't use cards as your sole teaching method. Preschoolers, even here at three and a half, need functional, hands-on opportunities to learn, especially when there's been a history of a language delay.
Our next milestone is tells how an object is used. Now, typically developing toddlers identify familiar object uses by 30 months and can state the use when asked after 36 months. So this is why we bumped it up in that next age range. And this is a hard one, again, and it's totally dependent upon they're able to generate a sentence in response to that, right? So a sentence link utterance, they've got to be able to put all those words together, right? So there's a syntax part of this, just like we talked about back in the speaks in four to five word sentences, right? There's also a conceptual issue here. They've got to understand what an object's use is before they can tell you right before they can make that sentence. So let me give you some common examples of familiar objects. And these are things that you as a therapist have probably used or, or seen on your assessments that you use with children. And if you are a parent who's been doing this speech therapy thing for a long time, you've probably heard some of these questions in evaluations. But this would be something like, you know, here's a spoon, what is this for? And what would a child say? You know, to eat with or stir with it or something like that. A coat, what do we do with a coat? You know, we wear it when it's cold. It keeps us warm, any kind of answer like that. A towel, what do you do with a towel? You dry off when you're wet, right? A pen, shoes, a phone, those kinds of things. So just familiar objects that a child would be exposed to in his or her everyday life. And can they tell you what that object function is or how that object is used. So to begin this goal, you're gonna have to really spend a lot of time frequently stating an object's use during your therapy activities as a way, again, to kind of preload this skill or to do the teaching part first. So in therapy, you should be saying something like, where's my pen? I need to write, I need to write something. I need my pen and again set it up like that you know my pen is for writing or oh look I'm thirsty here's my drink I need my cup I need a cup a cup is for drinking and that kind of talking about it and really again say something that a child can imitate so use uh, words that he or she already have in their vocabulary and it make the length short enough for them to be able to copy what you've said. Uh, other things that I do is I ask a lot of questions related to object uses. So while I'm playing, let's say we're playing with a kitchen set or with some pretend food or something like that, I might say something like, hmm, I need to cut this banana. I need something, hmm, like I'm really thinking about it, to cut my banana. What can I use to cut my banana? And again, this is how we really teach that. And we talked about this back previously in the other show and how we need to do that. So if a child cannot state an object's use, again, we have to back up and make sure that he understands this conceptually before we expect that expressive response. So many times we have to spend a good deal of time teaching object functions well before we begin to ask the question, tell me what you do with the whatever. So this might be something again that you start as a parent as a regular part of your play routines. So if you're playing with a puzzle, you're going to ask questions not just about the name of the object but the function. So let's say that we have a vehicle puzzle here and we're playing with that and let's say you know it has lots of different uh, cars and trucks and a boat and a plane and a bulldozer and a you know whatever lots of different options there. So we instead of saying to a child 
what's this, what's this, and we're expecting him to name all those things, you know, we'll start to ask which one flies in the sky or what do we drive on the road or which one picks up our garbage or those kinds of questions. If we have a house puzzle, you know, this, let's say it's just a scene there. Let's say it's a house and a car and a tree and a flower. We might say something like, you know, uh, which one do we knock on? You know, well, show me what we knock on or show me what we open to go in the house or which one drives on the road or what do we smell, you know, there with the flower. And so we're asking those questions. And so if we don't have children quickly identifying those things and quickly even responding non-verbally when we ask those questions, we know that it's really a conceptual problem. And so we can spend all day long working on having him imitate, you know, a four or five word sentence to tell us an object use, but until he understands that and until he really, again, is able to respond, again, even non-verbally when you're asking those questions, we know that he's not developmentally ready to be able to tell us an object's use. So if you're playing for, let's say it's, again, let's say this is a much older child. Let's say you're working with a five-year-old who's still back at this three-and-a-half-year-old level, and he's not going to be interested in doing those inset puzzles anymore. You just work this goal into any play routine that you're using. And so let's say he's playing with Batman. You might ask him something like, uh, you know, uh, how does Batman keep his feet warm? You know, how, what does Batman wear to keep his feet warm? And again, you know, you want the child pointing to Batman's boots or what's Batman wearing so nobody can see his face? You know, when you want uh, the child pointing to the mask. And the, the next part of that, you know, as you talk about this more and more and more, you're going to say, oh, why does Batman wear boots? Or why does Batman wear a mask? And again, if you, what, what's his mask for, you know, to hide his face? And so you're going to want to ask these questions, but over time, work it into the point where the child is giving you the responses. So when kids are first learning to do this, I'll give you another trick that I've used. You may have to begin with an easier version of the question. So one way I work toward this, you know, we talked about we've got to get the, the receptive response first. He's got to really understand first you know, like with that Batman example. And so now working toward this, once we've understood, once we know that he understands, you know, uh, what does Batman wear to keep his feet warm and, you know, his mask example or, you know, his car, the Batmobile. How will Batman chase Robin? What will he use? And again, you know, his Batmobile. Uh, one way to work toward this is with the fill in the blank kind of question. And, and as therapists, we call this a completion response. So instead of saying something like, uh, what's, what does Batman use his Batmobile for? Begin with something easier or simpler. So uh, let's let's use it with a cup. Let's back this up and make this a simpler example. And then we'll go back to Batman. So instead of saying what's a cup for or, or even something which one is for drinking, to get the expressive response, you've already asked those questions. Now move it to completion. So then you'll say something like you drink with a... And you want the child to fill in cup, right? And so let's take the Batman example. Batman will go get Joker when he rides in his, and the child fills in Batmobile or car or whatever he's going to say. And so this strategy is so helpful to improve word retrieval for children with language processing issues. And also kids who are on the spectrum respond so well to that completion response rather than that straight question. So anytime you have difficulty with a child being able to answer a question like that, 
use that method where they can fill in the blank there or completion and that works really really well now with all the milestones our initial teaching should be done with real objects and you know we've just spent a lot of time talking about pictures and how important that is and some kids with language delays will need help to transition uh, to pictures from objects so maybe you've done a lot of object teaching now for you know weeks or months and now you want to transition that to pictures again sometimes our kids with language delays really that's a step up because why that's a little harder it's more complex it's just visual information without the tactile system being involved so again for whatever reason it's harder for them to generate that language when they're looking at something that might be a picture versus if you were playing with them in a real life activity so teaching is always better with real activities especially in the beginning rather than just with printed or visual information alone. Now, parents should continue to use familiar toys, puzzles, and favorite books to teach object functions. And you're gonna to have to do a lot of talking about this with parents uh, that have, even those that have been in therapy for a while to really say, hey, we're bumping him up now. And, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to start with this receptive piece first to make sure he understands what these object functions are. So we're gonna ask all these questions and then we're gonna move it to kind of a fill in the blank. And then we're gonna start where we ask, you know, uh, here's my here's my fork. What's a fork for? Until a kid walks through that process with the receptive piece, and then they're going to do it kind of the fill in the blank piece, and then and only then may they get to the point where they're able to really do it uh, with that providing that longer sentence as the response there. And so look at a family's materials and list specific examples that a parent should say. Sometimes even educated moms need really, really detailed directions with this. So if a little boy loves his transportation puzzle like we talked about in that previous example, sit down with mom and really go through those kinds of things and, and really make sure that she understands that. Now, some of you are gonna say, that's condescending. That's really talking down to a mom. I don't wanna do that. I'm going to tell you right now, I've had, I've worked with pediatricians <laughs> who were parents that I was working with. So highly educated parents who still needed me to walk through them to walk through this process. And I'll tell you again, early in my career, I worked with a set of university professors that I was a little bit intimidated at that point, you know, however old I was, 26, 27, however old that was. And I was a little bit intimidated because of all their expertise and all of their all of their education and so I didn't go in with the simplest strategies and I worked with a developmental interventionist who was on that same team and she was presenting those simple strategies just like she would uh, to a mom who maybe had a high school education and and I would go in week after week behind that talented therapist and those parents were so excited to tell me what that that uh, developmental therapist had taught them and again what was she doing that I wasn't doing she was keeping it so simple and she was really explaining to parents how to do that and I assumed that those parents already knew and that was my that was me that was my lack of confidence with not knowing hey what we do is just like if I went into somebody else's realm of expertise, I'm still going to need them to coach me through it. And so you still need to coach even your highly educated parents, even parents that have more initials after their names than you do. You still have to coach them through that process. And don't, don't overlook that because sometimes, you know, that's going to be what's missing is that parent didn't really get the full benefit of everything you knew because you didn't go through that whole process of how you normally teach a parent to do that skill. So don't, 
do that. Walk parents through that. All right, so we have to teach parents that continuum so that they can meet a child where he is with this goal. Some kids are ready to pick up this goal that tells how an object is used just at that kind of in-between fill-in-the-blank level. You don't have to go all the way back to that receptive piece. They already get it. But we do have to help kids kind of, you know, you meet them where they are, and then you address it, and then you help them move forward so that they are able to state that object function when asked. The next goal is includes articles in phrases before nouns. So between three and three and a half, a child with typically developing expressive language begins to include articles. And these are words like uh, a for a car or the for the car or perhaps an like an apple, you know, the an that we would use before a noun that starts with a vowel. So a young preschooler with a language disorder will often need specific focus to learn to include these little words, these abstract words in conversational speech. Because again, this is something that they can't really see. This is something that they have to learn. So we have to practice by labeling single objects during play with a or the. Now three or four year olds really enjoy being the boss, right? So a fun activity to target articles expressively is for a child to tell you which object to retrieve in a task. But he has to say a or the before it. So get the dog or find a cat and include that. Now remember that uh, there or a uh, means any one of an object and the means a specific object but you may spend more time than necessary trying to teach those subtleties to a preschooler so I don't even worry about that I just focus on hearing them say those words so how do you do this you just again practice with lots of modeling and lots of encouraging a child to imitate uh, having a bag of toys is kind of a fun thing to do too where you are uh, setting I like to do this too when we're setting up a play routine so a child is requesting what he wants and he's saying I want uh, let's say that we're going to play zoo and so we have a lot of animals here and we have maybe a little cage or something that we've you know something that we're calling a zoo maybe we have a safari truck there or something maybe there's a swimming pool I don't know what that I'm kind of talking about what my little play routine is for playing zoo there but just to have a child request what he wants I might still sit and hold all of the props or all of the materials that we're using for that activity and just have him say I want a tiger I want the lion um, I want the truck give me a polar bear let's go swimming in the pool those kinds of things and have them really really again emphasize uh, that new word that they're trying to learn so provide those gentle reminders uh, and it makes the speech, uh, child's speech sound so much more mature when they master including those articles. It's not as important as our other goals. As a pediatric speech-language pathologist, you maybe never even worked on this, but I wanted to give you my trick for doing it when I have a child who needs to learn to include articles. The next milestone is uses quantity concepts. Now, between three and three and a half, children with typically developing language begin to use words to describe the quantity or the number of something. Now, this does include number words, one, two, three. Many children can count to 10 rotely by now, meaning that they're counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They can't necessarily get that one-to-one -one correspondence and we are not there yet that is a skill that comes later here we just want children really 
uh, being exposed to numbers and starting to use numbers and other quantity concepts that are understood by children at this developmental level are even more important than this and so this would include using words like one some rest all more and most now if you want the list for that uh, they are included on your handout so that would be a plug for buying the handout if you want to get that specific list now we talked about how to teach these concepts back in show 460 which is the receptive component for this age range again much more important than counting and so here are some ideas and i always think about uh with parents we always want to talk about incidental teaching and what is incidental teaching it means that it just comes up in uh, uh, their everyday routines where they're going to talk about these early quantity things. Now, parents, again, are going to want to count everything when you say that, and that's fine, too. But you also want to get them uh, clued in to what these other words would be that you want to teach them to understand and then to use. And then be sure that parents are using, again, using as many of these words as they can during everyday activities. Parents are able to do this better when you show them how to do it and when you model this for them. So do something like this in your next session when you're working on this. So I like to take large sets of items when I'm working on this, like a whole little set of army guys or a whole set of matchbox cars or a whole set of maybe plastic figurines or even snacks. I think we talked about this a lot back in the receptive show in 460. I teach these words a lot with snacks, but you can do this with toys too. And let's say that you've got a whole pile of army guys there and just separate them into piles and do something like, you know, do you want one army guy or do you want some of these army guys? And so you've got your set here of 25 army guys. He says he wants some, you know, move four or five over there. And then you're gonna say, Hmm, I, you know, and you might go on and, and start your little building or whatever it is that you're going to do with your army guys. You want to do more than just sit there and trade them back and forth. Although, you know, that would work for this goal, but it's going to be better if you have something for them to do. So let's say that you're going to set them up. Uh, if, if this is okay with you, like they're going to fight, <laughs> if they're going to play war, that might might not be okay with you. Philosophically, you might be opposed to that, but I, Laura Mize, am still okay with that. And so, you know, you might have the, those there ready. And so, again, you're going to work in all these words. Oh, you know, what are the rest of your army guys going to do? Oh, I don't see that they're coming out to fight. I think you need all of your army guys. And again, talk about that. You say, you know, oh, look at my army and look at your army. Who has more army guys? Who has more? Oh, who has the most? And again, you might even play this with another child or with a parent and do, do some shuffling around where again, it's going to be really visually obvious that those quantity differences have changed. And so uh, do some playing like that. Look for some opportunities where a child, again, has a whole pile of things. So that's your best opportunity to teach these kinds of things. Like we talked about in the receptive show back in 460, uh, I use snacks to teach this a lot. And if, you, if you're just beginning with this goal, I like to use uh, one as a contrast for every other word that we're teaching. So it might be one. Do you want one or do you want all the Skittles? Uh, do you want uh, more M&Ms or can I have some of your M&Ms? And again, uh, oh, I messed up my example there. I'm talking about just using one, right? Okay, so just keep it with one. Just keep it with one so that you are saying, you know, you want one versus all. Do you want one versus more? Do you want one versus two? And again, easiest way to teach that uh, is, is when you have something that a child wants and really, really, really likes and he's really, really going to pay attention to. So snacks 
are a great way to do it. Anything that would be their currency. So weave this in through your session in each activity. Talk about those quantity words at snack. Talk about it when you're playing cars. Talk about it when you're building with blocks. Talk about it when you're reading books. Do we want to read one more book or are we going to read all these books? Which one are we going to do here? You know, with Legos. So are you going to, do you want one Lego or do you want the rest of the Legos that are here in this pile? Because it's expressive, we want kids to use the word two. So even at this point, imitatively, you know, when you're saying, do you want one or all, just having them tell you that word first, even imitatively, is what you're going to do. Focus on uh, that, that response first. And then as you continue to play, then you're going to make sure that they're using it correctly in your task. But first, make sure they understand it, right? Our next goal is adds final S for possessives. So in this age range, a child with typically developing language skills will use possessive endings correctly for nouns and for familiar names. So a really important prerequisite for this skill is what? Is that a child can include final consonants and that he or she has an approximation for an S or for a Z. So that's, again, what we use. That's the, the sound that we use there. And so if a, a child that you're working with can't produce an approximation of these sounds yet, I wouldn't work on this goal yet because you're not going to be very successful. I don't think of S and Zs as early easy sounds for children with speech disorders or speech delays to master either. But again, remember we're up here at this three and a half year old age level, so we can and should probe uh, to see if a child can produce the sound in the context of using possessives. And let me just give you a, a little hint. A child will likely use a final S to make something plural before he uses it to make it possessive. So he will say something like cats, like there are three cats here. He's gonna put that final S on there to signal more than one cat before he's going to say, that's the cat's food. And so you may have to explain that again if you are a therapist, explain it to a parent, kind of the context that you're teaching and, and plurals come first. They are in an earlier developmental range. So I like to teach possessives using generic dolls, referencing their clothing or their body parts. And I like to Again, use a traditional depictions of this so that the little boy looks like a traditional little boy and the little girl looks more like a traditional little girl so that uh, they kind of uh, understand that too. Especially, you know, because we're going to be using words like the boy's shoes or the girl's hair. And so, again, you want them to look like what you're talking about. You can also do this with names. But I found that it's generally better at the beginning to start with something generic. Uh, I like to then, once we've done that, really then go on to uh, expand the activity using sets of props with the dolls. And so you can do that too with the daddy doll and the mommy doll. And after you've done it that way, where you've practiced, you know, this is daddy's card, this is mommy's purse, this is daddy's shoe, this is mommy's hair. When you've gone through all of that, you can usually, again, then kind of move it to a familiar name. So Laura's, this is Laura's block, and this is Brandon's block. And I like the generic first, but you may be able to do that at the beginning. You have to emphasize the word ending here. And like we've said already, if a child doesn't have any final consonants, save this until after you've done some work on that speech goal. And again, 
by three and a half, children should be including final consonants. That's really something that we look for developmentally by age 36 months. If they don't have any final consonants, we at least listen for them marking the sound. So usually that's an extension of the final sound or there's a space or a breath. And if you are a pediatric speech language pathologist, you already know how to listen for these things, but you may have to help a parent listen for it. You know, is he trying to mark that plural? Is it, you know, and it is he able to do that? Okay, he's marking that plural. So we can start with, you know, working on our possessives now. And so again, that's something, uh, that's something that you want to consider. Always remember that we have to teach, like I've said in every goal in this show, teach it first receptively so that the child really, really understands it. And then we work on getting that word ending to mark it expressively. But it is a very important goal for this developmental period. And again, it's what I work on. After a kid gets a plural S, then I go to possessive. It's right here at three and a half. Uh, uh, I'm realizing I might have worked on it a tad too early with some kids, but I, I want you to be able to know how to do it. And again, that is so important to know the continuum and to know uh, your considerations. If you can't do final sounds, can't do an S or a Z, not a realistic goal. Our last expressive goal here in this developmental period is one that we have talked about in nearly every show since 12 months, and it expands pronoun usage. So here at three and a half, let me give you a list of the pronouns that are now developmentally appropriate. So it's the gender pronouns, he and she and it, we've already talked about that, but now we're going to make them also possessive. So his, her, its. And now we're going to make them plural. So they, our, their, and then we're going to make them objective, which we had two more words, him and them. So, wow, that's a lot. The singular subjective, he, she, and it. The singular objective, him and her. Plural, we, they, and them. And then possessive. Now, we just spent some time talking about how kids at this developmental period are ready to mark a possessive with including an S or a Z. And again, if you're not sure what that distinction is, S is how we spell it when we're doing a possessive. So like Laura's pen, L-A-U-R-A apostrophe S, but we really say Laura's. So that's why I'm saying the, the Z there because a lot of times it's uh, we voice that on the end of words because the Z has followed a vowel. And I'm getting super technical here for those of you who are not speech pathologists, but but the same concept here, we're gonna see that with pronoun usage. So kids learn how to do possessive in this, not only with nouns and names that they're putting that specific S ending on, but they also change the word with pronouns just like adults do. So they're moving toward more mature speech with their pronouns. So much to talk about with this goal, like we've already said here, not only the concept, but now we also have to look at that early grammar component. Now the syntax here can drive us all a little crazy. And if you have been a pediatric speech language pathologist and work with preschoolers, you already know how this can make you feel, right? And how hard it can be to get a kid to correct this. And you hear things, you know, give it to he or him do it or um, hers turn, you know, or get, that again, mixing up the objective versus the subjective form. I know some adults who have trouble with that, right? <laughs> so this is super hard for some kids. I always remember this anytime I'm working on 
pronouns or anything that a kid is really having trouble with that, that I am also having trouble teaching him. A grad school professor told me this once, she said, and I've held on to it, and I've said it on the show, and I want to make sure you know it, and it's so applicable here to pronouns. Anytime a child is making errors on something, he's working on it. So we need to give him credit for that. He's beyond where, and I bet you've had this happen in your own experience, where a child, you've tried to introduce a goal, but he's not anywhere close, and he can't even start to do it, and you don't even hear errors on this in conversation, because conceptually, he's not, or, or it might just be a little speech thing, but usually it's conceptually, he's not even there yet, right? And so when we hear a child say something like, you know, her do it, instead of she, you know, will do it, or whatever, we know she's trying. She's trying to master those pronouns. So inaccurate pronouns are better than no pronouns at all, right? <laughs> at least we have a starting point. So make sure that you are hearing some pronouns. So then let's kind of start back at the beginning. And I'm just going to walk through this whole process. And this may be a little bit tedious to listen to if you're not used to teaching this. I want to go ahead and tell you all of this. It's pretty much word for word in this section from my therapy manual, teach me to talk to the therapy manual. I'll tell you how to get that in a minute. But I want you just to listen to this whole continuum and I'm gonna walk you through how I teach pronouns. All right, so when we're teaching, uh, to teach gender pronouns, he and she, we start, and again, you're not gonna teach him and her until a child, what, has mastered he and she. And you're not gonna teach he and she until, with the pronoun until they've mastered what? They understand gender. They understand boy versus girl. And so you've gotta start there. And I think I've already said back when we were talking about, uh, I guess when we were talking about the possessives, I was talking about using really uh, generic dolls that represent gender. So a traditional depiction of a boy and a traditional depiction of a girl. And you want to do that, why? So the child doesn't resort to calling the doll a specific name. And so it's harder to do this with characters that are already established. You know, if a child already knew, say Dora and Diego, it would be harder for them, for you to get them to do the whole pronoun thing. Why? Because they're going to switch to just use the child's name. That's really smart, right? <laughs> when a child does that, when he's having trouble, he says, I'm just going to call her Dora instead of uh, she or her here. And so start with gender and do it with structured play with the dolls. And you're going to model pointing to the doll that you're talking about to be sure that the child understands and uses the correct pronoun or the correct reference. And you're going to encourage the child to point too. So if you're saying something like the little boy, here's the boy. He, want, he the little boy, wants to swing. He wants to swing. Look at the boy. He's going to swing, and you do a lot of talking about boy and he and girl and she, and you really link it that way. And so um, I ask a lot of questions with this, too. Remember how we've talked about, even though this is an expressive goal, we've talked a lot about we have to teach it receptively first. So when you first start to teach pronouns, be sure that you're doing the receptive due diligence so that you get there. So you'll do a lot of questions like show me his shoes, show me her uh, coat and again body parts and clothing items are what I do with that usually because it, we've just got the one doll right there and that's all that they have to refer to right and so model 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 when you're asking questions like who has the hat he does you know whose shoes are these and again 
You've got to do the whole, make sure that they've got the subject of he and she before you move on to the objective form with him and her. Don't let a child respond incorrectly over and over and over. You've got to establish that correct response with modeling long before we ask for an independent response. So very ABA-like, right? You're going to say it, they're going to say it. You're going to say it, they're going to say it. Don't let the child habitually respond incorrectly. Back up if this is happening. And again, we're talking about this continuum, so we'll talk more about that in a second. But let's don't get off of that. I, I, I want to be sure that you understand the continuum. We've reviewed it, but... Let's move through this and then we'll go back and review it again. So um, we're going to continue to ask questions with after and so that we can model the answer too, so that the child can respond with the correct pronoun. Occasionally, here's another thing that our ABA friends have taught us. We need to throw in mastered pronouns. So while we're doing, you know, whose hat is this? And we've switched to objective here. It's hers. Whose, whose pants are these? Yes, we've switched to that. So when we're doing that, you know, another thing that ABA therapists teach us how to do is to throw in something they already know. So show me your shirt. Okay, where's my shirt? So we're always working in uh, those new versus mastered concepts. So if we see that a child is struggling, and I consider struggling anything less than 50%, accurate and um, you know he's wrong more times than he's right it's he is usually a child isn't developmentally ready in my opinion to work on that goal we're still going to do it we still want to have the exposure but i'm not going to let a kid say the wrong thing over and over and over i'm just going to back up and work on it receptively until i know that he or she get it this is why we can count on imitation that it works it works where we're saying the right thing and we have them imitate it and really 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 hone in that response first so again if kids aren't catching on and remember i said that's habitual errors less than 50 percent accuracy we're going to always look at the goal that comes just before this so from the previous milestone list so remember what we said we're going to all kids are always going to understand receptively before they can use it expressively we're going to always correctly identify gender the example the boy or the girl before they can use he or she. They're going to use the subjective forms of he and she before they can use the objective forms of him and her. They're going to use singles, singular pronouns, he and she, before they use plural pronouns like we and they and ours. So for more ideas for practice, I like to give the child suggestions, you know, also known as commands, <laughs> for stalls to carry out. So for example, you say something like, he should wash the truck. And when the child is making the boy doll perform that action, you ask the child, what is he doing? Who is washing the truck? You know, he is washing the truck. What is he doing? And again, the answer there is he is washing the truck. So you ask, what is he doing? Who is doing it? And you ask and ask and ask. So that the child has, uh, again, the opportunity to, to respond with that and you're also providing that model okay for teaching single gender pronouns uh, after we do that after we teach those single gender pronouns we work on the plural pronouns and so to do this remember how we talked about we introduced the concept that the whoever we're talking about there the plurals your little group because you know now you've got to say we and they and ours so maybe 
uh, again, you're going to use a little group. So you're going to use maybe a family with a dollhouse with furniture and teach they go in the house, they eat at the table, they ride in the car, they jump in the swimming pool. And again, you've got to give lots of examples. And remember what we talked about in our one of our previous shows where we said anytime we use variety there with and we keep our target the only word that stays the same, we increase that variety of our input. Um, children really, th that makes our goal word stand out more. It makes it more salient to them. So again, when we're teaching a pronoun like we, you've got to make a child part of that group. So he's holding one of those dolls and then you make your little group of, you know, we are going to go uh, sit on the couch, you know, and then you make all your little characters sit on the couch. And then now we are going to walk outside. You make all your children walk outside that uh, dollhouse. We are all going to go, you know, again, find the dog, whatever the next thing is. You have them hold that there together and you're keeping we as your only word that's the same and you're having lots of other activities that you have your little dolls do. And so I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, we're going to just combine those activities and those examples until a child continues to understand, modify, and correctly use a range of pronouns during conversation. Mix up those pronouns um, so that you are having, again, lots and lots of practice with that. And you're going to continue to use those previously acquired pronouns to be sure that a child has mastered that. Let me say a couple more, one more thing about pronouns, and then I'm going to quit talking about it maybe forever, right? <laughs> Isn't that how you feel too when you're talking about pronouns? So the objective pronouns, him and her, are easily confused even by typically developing children during this age range and certainly about our little friends with language delays and disorders. And so when we have a three-year-old who's doing this again, no, even with a language delay or disorder, they've got good company because their typically developing friends are having difficulty with this too. So uh, I use character dolls to teach those objective pronouns too. Give him the hat. Who has the hat? He does. And again, don't let the child continually respond incorrectly. You're going to establish that correct response. All right. So I hope I've given you enough information about pronouns. And again, the word for word specific written directions are here in my therapy manual. Uh, teach me to talk the therapy manual. Most of the information from today's course, again, is included in this book, word for word, including all the strategies. Uh, in this manual, though, you're going to find the step-by-step -step directions for teaching this. If you are an early intervention speech language pathologist or developmental interventionist or even a preschool therapist who works with children who have had a history of language delays and disorders and say, you know, you, you're, I know you work with four-year-olds who are at the two-year-old developmental level. You're going to find everything you need in this book, all the receptive and expressive language milestones from under 12 months all the way through 48 months. So if you don't have that book, it's a great one to get. And parents who email me and say, I need to know specifically what to teach and specifically how to teach it. I need really step-by-step -step directions. This is the book that I always send them to. So if you don't have that, it would be a great resource for your library too. Coming up next, we have our last two shows in this series. We're all the way up to 48 months. And I feel like four is old. And if you are a pediatric or an early intervention therapist, you probably do too. So we are going to talk about all the four-year-old skills in the next uh, two shows. So don't forget to get your CE credit for today's show. 
If this is your first show with us, thank you so much. We want to be your main provider for continuing education courses, and I invite you to take a look at our entire library of courses. With these shows, we're getting close to 90 shows, 90 courses to pick from in our library. So if you need continuing education courses, we have those for you and Teach Me to Talk. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talk's podcast.